0: You're listening to the Theology Mom Podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining me for tonight's live stream. I'm very excited to start a new teaching series with all of you tonight. This is going to be part one of what could be two or three parts, depending on how it all unfolds. Monique thinks it's going to be four parts We'll see. Um, I've entitled the teaching series The End of the Story: What Does the Bible Say about the end of the world? And tonight we're going to be covering the topic of the spirit realm versus the physical realm. So the Lord really put this teaching series on my heart back in September. And I thought I was going to do it in October. Then we had a bunch of travel, and the Lord and I were still kind of in a conversation about how I was going to unfold all of the the information and content. So I've been working the last few months on how to present things in um, kind of in a big picture way. I hope you find this helpful. And that has taken some time for me to develop. So we've finally arrived. Yay. <laughs> glad to be here as we are preparing for Christmas and all of that. So the place I'd like to begin this teaching series is by making the observation at the outset that um, any discussion about the end of the world is kind of like telling you how a book ends, you know, or how a movie ends. And and then you're missing all of the plot points that led up to that climax of the story. And so for that reason, I've decided to approach this, this subject a little differently than, than how I see a lot of people go about conversations about end times theology. Um, I'm not going to just give you the last chapter of the book, because I think it'll be a lot more understandable if we actually start from the beginning of the story. So how I'm going to approach this teaching series is to kind of give you the cliff notes of the entire book, of the entire story. Is anyone old enough to remember Cliff Notes? I think now they're called Spark Notes. But when I was in high school, Cliff Notes were these little booklets that you could buy at the bookstore to cram for the test when you had procrastinated too long and hadn't properly read the book. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what this teaching series is going to be. It's going to be the Cliff Notes version of the whole story of the Bible and we're going to we're going to give the big picture not just the end of the story. And I think that this will help you have a better understanding of how the end is really part of this larger whole story. So that's how we're going to be approaching this teaching series. The other point I want to make at the beginning here is to just state up front we're going to be talking about the Christian story of reality. But I recognize that it is one story of, of reality. If if you go to another religion, they are going to give you a different story of reality and and what that means in their religious system and in their religious thoughts. So for example, if you go talk to a member of the Church of Scientology, which, you know, I don't know, maybe there might be 50,000 people left on the planet that are in the Church of Scientology, but they will give you a story of reality. They will answer the fundamental questions of, you know, what does it mean to be a human? Do we have a soul? What happens after we die? What is humanity's biggest problem? What is the solution to humanity's biggest problem? They will answer all of those questions in a way that is different than historic Christianity. Uh, Likewise, if I go talk to um, my dear brother, who I love very much, he's a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He will give you a different story of reality than, than I would. Here's kind of a little visual depiction of the story of reality, according to the book of Mormon. So, in, in their story of reality, there is um, the, the kind of the primordial state. There is a life that happens before you're vo- born and then you're given a human body and you come live on earth in this mortal life for a while. And then how you live on the earth and how you engage with the LDS church, you might go into the celestial kingdom uh, or you might be on that way for a while and then commit apostasy and end up going to outer darkness. Uh, you could be on the Broadway of good and honorable people, but but that are blinded. And so they would go in the afterlife to the terrestrial kingdom. Um, there's the low way. This is the way of the dishonest liars, sorcerers, adulterers, and whoremongers. That's sort of an old fashioned word, but they would end up in the Celestial kingdom. So these this is sort of an overview um, from eternity past into eternity future. So what I want to just recognize here, as I'm going through this story of reality, and I, I could go on, but I hopefully you get the point, that every religious system tells us a story of reality. It, it gives us an account to explain what's real. And where we came from and what our ultimate destiny is. These are the universal questions that the souls of humanity long to have answers to. And I think that that is baked into what it means to be a human person. We long to have answers to these these basic um, questions. And so various religions answer these questions differently. So what I am going to be sharing in this teaching series is the Christian story of reality. The major beliefs about the events and meaning of history that Christians have historically believed. Now, I fully recognize that Christianity is one of many stories of reality told by religions around the world the difference is that I believe the Christian story is the truly true story. I believe that it is an accurate reflection of reality. And so although this teaching series is not going to go into detail about why I believe in the the Christian story to be true, um, that would be a different teaching series. And I want to encourage you to to go search out where those conversations are being conducted. And there's many fine uh, Christian apologists out there giving those, those evidences of why they think that Christianity is, is the one true religion. Um, Go seek those out. They should be sought out. But what I am going to do in, in this teaching series is a much more modest project of simply trying to give you the cliff notes version of the Bible's story of reality. And in doing so, we will learn the end of the story where Christians believe history is heading. Okay, so hopefully that lays some groundwork and some context to what we are going to be doing here. So we will get to the conversation about the end of the world and, you know, the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and all of that. But if I just jump into that without giving you the whole context, I think it's going to be very confusing. So um, the teacher heart in me is really wanting to start at the beginning and lead you into a fuller picture of the Christian worldview. So with that, let's get into it. The Christian story of reality. Now, this, this story starts in eternity past, so this is before the book of Genesis. Now, the book of Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And the very first verse in the Bible is Genesis 1.1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So embedded in this very powerful verse is an assumption that there was something that existed before the earth was created and that something was the creator who we call God. Now, Christians believe in this kind of eternal state. I'm going to call this the spirit realm. Okay. So I've got this little, this graph that we're going to go over tonight in some detail. So there's two, realms that we know about from scripture. There's the spirit realm or what I'm going to sometimes call the invisible world. And then there's the physical realm, which I'm going to sometimes call the visible world. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when I talk about this, this phrase heavens and the earth, it's talking about the physical realm, the visible world, but Christians believe that the triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have always existed because God is eternal. And God existed before the creation of physical matter, before the physical realm, and separate from physical matter. So this is the spirit realm is where we are going to say God lives. He lives in The spirit realm so we've got we're going to add the words here the triune god to our what's in the spirit realm so we're going to talk more about the physical realm in just a few minutes um in in the next section of this teaching but i'm just going to talk for a minute about the spirit realm so what else is in the spirit realm besides the triune god the father son and holy spirit Well, the Bible doesn't give us a ton of details about what's in the spirit realm, but it does offer us some information about it. Not only does the triune God live in the spirit realm, so do the angels. Now, the angels are not human. They are separate creations of God. So they are created by God at some point in the past. These are created beings, okay? probably created them before he created the physical realm. We have this clue from Job chapter 38. And this is a creation passage that that describes God's creation activity. So what happens here is is God is is kind of putting Job on trial. He's sick of listening to to Job's complaints. And so then God starts talking and he says to, to Job, he speaks out of the storm. He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? This is kind of a long poem where God is, is um, speaking to Job and kind of putting him on trial. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? In other words, you, oh man, Job, you think you're, you're, you're complaining so much. You don't like how I created the world. Well, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely, you know, who stretched a measuring line across it on what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone. In other words, you, you. You weren't there, Job. You you aren't this powerful. Why are you putting God on trial? No, you're the creation. The creator is putting you on trial on what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So what we see is just a little glimpse, a little hint here that the angels seem to have been there when God was creating the earth. So if we think back to Genesis 1-1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what Genesis 1-1 doesn't tell us, but Job 38 seems to hint at, is that the angels were also there, and they were peering at God's creation process as he was creating the foundations of the earth. Now, again, we don't know when God created the angels, possibly sometime before he 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 formed and fashioned the earth and the heavens. we But we do know that angels are real. Now, angels are described many ways in the Bible. And it, it seems like there are even different kinds of angels. For example, the Bible specifically describes angels called cherubim and others called seraphim who are in the very throne room of God. And it mentions this in both the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation. Now, another clue that the Bible gives us about angels is that they seem to have different ranks, similar to an army. Michael, for example, is called an archangel in a couple of places in Scripture. And so that kind of makes it seem like he's of a higher rank than others. Another interesting observation is that angels seem to have the ability to enter into the physical realm. Sometimes make an appearance as they come into the physical realm. For example, we see in the Christmas story, we're coming up on Christmas very soon. And so we're going to be hearing a lot of stories about angels kind of popping in and out from the spirit realm into the physical realm. For example, angels, visited Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, providing them with information about their coming sons and the birth of their sons. We also notice that angels seem to even be able to control some aspects of the physical realm. For example, we're told in Genesis 19.11 that the angels make seeing eyes blind. Um, It says the angel of the Lord made Zechariah mute in the temple in um, Luke chapter 1. Now, there's another component to the spirit realm. So far, we've talked about the triune God. Maybe if you could put that graphic back up for a minute. There it goes. The triune God, we talked about angels. Now, there's another component in the spirit realm, and that is the demonic realm. Demons are also created beings. They are fallen angels, so they are spirit creatures like angels, only they followed Lucifer in rebelling against God at some point in the past. Again, probably before the creation of Adam and Eve. Now we know this because it says in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan was there in the garden to tempt Eve. So that assumes that he has already fallen, and we're going to assume that he has. Um, his, the demons have followed him out of heaven into the, demo- into the demonic realm. So, so far we've said in the spirit realm, in the invisible world, is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, angels, and the demonic realm. We should also state that the spirit realm is where we're going to find the eternal state. Well, we often or commonly call heaven and hell. And this is the final destination for us as humans and demons after God's final judgment. And we're going to find out more details about all of that in um, the next um, parts of this teaching series. So far, we have covered the things that dwell, the major things that dwell in the spirit realm or the invisible world. Now we're going to turn our attention to the physical world and start to unpack that next chapter in the Christian story of reality. So, so far we've kind of looked at eternity past. We looked at the creation of the angels. So now let's begin to unpack the physical realm in more detail. Now, as we said earlier, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. This really is the verse that changes everything. It's literally one of the most important verses in the Bible that explain the Christian story of reality. At some point in the past, in the beginning, the triune God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe to put it in scientific terms, we might say God created space, time, matter, and energy. Hebrews 11.3 says it this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the angel, the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe or what we're calling it in, in our stream that the physical world was formed at God's command so that what is seen, the visible world was not made out of what was visible. So we have this idea of the invisible world and the visible world. And we, it came about the physical world as a result of God's command. Let's look at Colossians chapter one. The the Son is the image of the invisible God. That's why he lives in the spirit realm. The firstborn over all creation. And to be firstborn means to be the first resurrected. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things And in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. That's what I was saying earlier in verse 15. To be firstborn is to be the first resurrected from the dead. Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again, so that in everything he might have supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So Jesus is the creator. He was there with God in the beginning. In him, all things were created, both visible and invisible. Finally, we could look at the Apostle Paul's words in Acts chapter 17, in his very famous sermon on Mars Hill. He says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. In other words, God doesn't live in the physical realm. He doesn't live in the visible world, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The historic Christian position is that God stands completely independent of his creation. The creator doesn't need the creation in order to sustain his existence, but we, his creatures, those things that dwell in the physical realm, in the visible world, need God to uphold all of creation for us to even take one breath of life. So if we're going to go back to our diagram for just a minute here, we looked at the, the invisible world. Now we're going to look at the visible world. In the physical realm, it's what I like to, to look at is, is all time, space, matter, and energy, or as I like to say This is the realm of planets, plants, poodles, and people. It's everything from atoms to Adam. Okay. This is what is in the physical realm. This is the visible world. And it is the realm that God has created. So we can see unfold in the opening chapters of Genesis is a summary account of God's activities of forming and filling the visible world, forming and filling what Genesis one, one calls the heavens and the earth. Now I wrote a whole book about this, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. Um, You can find that book. um, It's available through uh, reasons to believe it's called the bigger picture on creation. But I just wanted to show this one chart that kind of summarizes the big picture of Genesis 1. So what we have in Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2 is kind of a description of before day one. We have that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. There was darkness over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was there. It was hovering over the the, the, the surface of the deep. And then we have these days of forming and filling or forming and usefulness. So, day one, we have the description of the, the day and the night. And then in day four, we read the description of God filling the day and night with the sun, moon, and stars. Day two is the water and the sky. And then we see in day five that he fills those with the fish and the birds. day three we see the land is described as appearing and then the vegetation coming up from the ground and then in day six we see the description of things that populate the land is animals and humans and the plants become an important foundation of the food chain and then on the seventh day god rests so again just like the Bible doesn't give us all the details about the spirit realm, it gives us some information, but not everything. Likewise, God doesn't give us every shred of information of how he created the heavens and the earth. He gives us some snapshots. He gives us some highlights. He doesn't tell us anything about how he made protons electrons and neutrons the bible doesn't tell us anything about the periodic table the bible doesn't tell us anything about the planet jupiter that doesn't mean that those things don't exist it just means that god doesn't give us that information because we go out and discover that in his general revelation we get to um we get to participate in that wonderful discovery but what we see there in the opening chapter of Genesis is that the final creatures that God created were the man and the woman. Now, the historic Christian position is that human beings are not eternal in the same way that God is. They are created beings, much like the angels. They have a beginning. Christians don't believe that the soul existed in a pre-mortal state before their bodies. Neither do historic Christians believe that we lived past lives. Each and every human being is a unique creation of God formed in our mother's womb, body, soul, and spirit. Um, what makes us different than the angels is that the Bible describes human beings as the only creatures who are created in the image of God. Angels are not said to be created in the image of God. Animals are not described as being created in the image of God. The mountains, the plants, they are not described as being created in the image of God. Humans alone have this designation. So we're similar to the angels in that we have a beginning. We're dissimilar from the angels in that humans alone are created in the image of God. And this image of God quality is what grounds all of humans as having equal dignity, value, and worth. God gave the man and the woman a beautiful garden to work in. We read in Genesis chapter two, he told them to govern the planet on his behalf. They were his image bearers. And part of being his image bearers was that they were going to be his representatives on earth to govern the planet on his behalf. And so they were to multiply and fill the earth. They were to take care of it. They were to be good stewards of it. This is kind of their job description. This is what the humans were created to do. And they were created to do it together because both of them were created in God's image. But when we turn the page in Genesis 3, we read that something went dreadfully wrong. The devil came into the garden and invited the man and the woman to to determine what was right and wrong all on their own. They turned away from God's definition of good and evil, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They turned away from God's design for their lives. They turned away from his reign as as their king, and they wanted autonomy. They wanted to be independent of God. They wanted to rule and reign without God and become their own determiner of right and wrong. And ever since then, humans have been living separated from God in an adversarial relationship with each other, with God, and with the planet. So so when we look around now and we see the treatment, the high divorce rates, when we see the treatment of each other with abuse and and pornography, and rape, and exploiting the planet, and and not using the planet, not stewarding the planet's resources wisely, wisely, we just sort of intuitively know something has gone dreadfully wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be. Well, that's exactly right. This is not what God had planned, but this is where our sin has brought us. So most of the rest of scripture after Genesis 3 is a description of humans living in the consequences of Genesis 3. We are Genesis 1 and 2 people living in a Genesis 3 fallen world. So when when I say most of the rest of the scripture, (laughs) I want to qualify that carefully because we will look next time at some critical passages that, that tell that part of the story of reality that bring us back to hope. God doesn't just leave us living in the reality of Genesis three with no hope. God brings a message of hope. And we will talk about that part of the story next time. And then that leads us into really all of those end time events. That is the great hope of how do we deal with living in a Genesis three world and how do we get back to the father? How do we get back into relationship with the father? Okay. Now we're going to get to kind of our third movement here of our teaching. I hope you're finding this helpful. Um, Now I know that you might be wondering at this point, um, couldn't there, because I get this question a lot especially when I go do uh, Q&A sessions down at the Union Rescue Mission once a month, I always get the question, yeah, well, isn't there more happening in the spirit realm that the Bible doesn't tell us about? You know, what about all of that? And there's a lot of curiosity about the spirit realm. And I would say definitely. I I think it's definitely a likely scenario that the Bible um, is not telling us the whole story. But again, the Bible doesn't claim to offer an exhaustively complete description of everything in the spirit realm or everything in the physical realm. Why? Why is that? Because the main focus of the Bible is not to tell us all the ins and outs of everything. The purpose of the Bible is to tell humans where we come from, what happened that has made our world so wicked and what is the creator's plan to help us make a way back into fellowship with him so yes the spirit realm is there and sometimes in the story we see angels and demons pop in and out of the physical realm but the spirit realm is always hovering in the background of the bible story it's not the main focus So the selective principle is what I like to call it is what is the selective principle? How did uh, the human authors in cooperation with the Holy Spirit under the Holy Spirit's inspiration and guidance, how did they decide what to include in the Bible? Well, I think the answer to that is that what's included in the Bible is what God thinks we need to know that's relevant to our salvation. In other words, what's wrong with the world and what's the path back to the Father? So that leaves out a lot of details. God, who is the creator, is putting what in the Bible, what he thinks we need to know for our salvation. Another point that I want to draw our attention to is that the spirit realm has existed much longer than the physical realm. Although the spirit realm is invisible to us, it is just as real as the physical realm. So we should never diminish the reality of the spirit realm. Now, I know that that Christians in the West ha- have a, a tendency that they don't really want to talk about the spirit realm in polite company. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a for many it's an uncomfortable conversation because modern people see conversations about god and demons and angels and this this kind of thing they see it as sort of superstitious kind of primitive um if you if you talk to some progressives you know i i had a message the other day someone was asking me on facebook they had a progressive friend who thought well maybe demons don't exist it's just a way of of the church trying to engage in kind of mind control and you know, maybe, maybe what they used to call demons is really just negative thoughts or something like that. I'm like, that's a very interesting idea. It's sort of a, a modernist approach to getting rid of the supernatural, but the, a true historic Christian should never fall into that error. The spirit realm is real. It is just as real as the physical realm. Even though the physical realm can can condition us to think that this is really what's what's there, but we have to be aware of the fact that the spirit realm will likely outlast the physical realm um and that it is just as real as as the physical realm. So don't be duped into thinking. That just because you don't see something, you don't see the spirit realm impacting you, doesn't mean that it is without impact. And there are places in scripture and moments in scripture that are described where the spirit realm and the physical realm come together. And we're going to talk about a few of those right now. And and one of them is angels and demons. We read of angels entering into the physical realm, into the visible world to bring messages. Like we talked earlier about it at Christmas time, we read this. We read in scripture that demons can make seeing eyes blind and that they can make people sick. So when we think about the physical realm, this box is not intended to be such a box that we are totally separated from the spirit realm, rather the spirit realm occasionally does come into it. And maybe more than we might be aware, maybe we haven't been very tuned into the spirit realm or the reality of that. Maybe we go to a church where they don't really talk about that so much, or we were in the past in a, in a church that that was all they talked about and it was very unhealthy. So we've got to have that healthy balance of, of recognizing and having those conversations that, that, these spirit creatures do and have the capability of coming into the physical realm and affecting life in the physical realm. Secondly, we might consider ourselves. Humans reside in the physical realm. Um, We have a physical body. So this little drawing is representing our physical body. We have that, that our body dwells in the physical realm, it, it undergoes decay, it undergoes disease, um, and it one day our body will die, and they'll put us in the ground, and we will decay all the more. When we get up in the morning, we put on our clothes, we go to work, we interact with our family, all of these activities happen in the physical realm. But humans are not merely physical, We also have a non-physical component. And I mentioned this briefly earlier. 1 Thessalonians 5 describes humans as having a body, soul, and spirit. So my best understanding of the scriptures is that the soul is what is the immaterial, it's an immaterial part that, that resides with us and in our body, and it consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions, now, not everybody has agreed on, on that definition. Um, that's, my again, my best understanding of what it is. So the soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so it is the non-material part of us. It's, it's our thoughts. It's our emotions. It's the will. And, and when we make choices, then those choices are manifested in the physical realm. And we um, live those out. Now the third part of us is our spirit, and this is kind of the core part of us. And yeah, no, it's fine. And this is designed by God to connect us with the spirit realm, and this is where the Holy Spirit lives if you are a Christian. So this is all a very crude illustration. So please forgive me. Um, f- you know, it's not to, not necessarily autonom- anatomically correct, but I'm just trying to do my best here to try to illustrate um, in a visual way this very important point. And so the Holy Spirit lives in our core person, where is our spirit. Now, if you're not a Christian, your spirit might be being controlled by demons. I know that might be kind of harsh, but if we're going to tell the story of the Christian story of reality, um, there are several passages in Scripture that talk about how how the devil can um, influence our thoughts and can control our emotions and can even affect our bodies, and so that is um, a very real part of the Christian story of reality. Now, if you're a Christian, then someday your body and your soul will be transformed into a glorified state just like Jesus, um, and that you will live in a glorified body for all eternity. And you're, But right now, your spirit, that core person, that core aspect of you, where the Holy Spirit dwells, is connected even now to heavenly places. For example, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that Jesus— is seated in the spirit realm. It says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul is talking about the church, the Christians at, in the church at Ephesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy, holy people, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the world to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So when Christ died, he took our sins upon him. We're going to talk more about that next time. And then he came back to life. He raised from the dead, Now he is ruling and reigning in heaven, bringing all things under his feet. So Jesus is right now seated in the spirit realm. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Now, if you turn the page on Ephesians 1 to Ephesians chapter 2, we read uh, Paul's words that call us back to this picture that we as Christians are also seated in heavenly realms. But because of his great love for us who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So there is some way that you and I right now, if we are Christians, are connected to the spirit realm. The Holy Spirit lives in us and we are somehow mysteriously reigning in heaven or at least present in heavenly places, much like Jesus. Romans 8 describes our body as the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. It echoes Paul's words in Ephesians. He says this, "You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit." If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So in order if in order to have that spirit, if you have that spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, you belong to Christ. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you, you do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, in other words, even though you're still living in the physical world, you're living in the visible world, the Holy Spirit gives life. There's this part of you that has life. There's a part of you that is living in the spirit realm because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that Holy Spirit is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal body, in your physical body, because of his Spirit who lives in you. So this is a great mystery that we live in the visible world, in the, in the, in the physical realm, and yet there is a very real sense that right now we are connected to the spirit realm because the Holy Spirit lives in us, that, that somehow, some mysterious way, we are being renewed and we are seated in heavenly places. This is a pretty um, mind-blowing paradigm. And again, I'm not making a case for this right now. I'm not giving you evidences for this. I am simply giving you the Cliff Notes version of the Christian story of reality. Finally, Another way that we might think about um, the relationship and places where the spirit realm and the physical realm touch is in the Christmas story itself. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus coming from the spirit realm into the physical realm. The creator enters into his creation and becomes part of it. He is born to a woman just like a regular baby boy. But in doing so, he is veiling his glory as God. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. This is what we call in theology the incarnation. The word incarnation is from Latin. It means in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. And in Jesus, we see the intersection of the spirit realm, and the physical realm. So as we are approaching this Christmas season, I want to invite you to reflect on the reality of where we are in God's story. God has come. The Creator has entered His creation. He has a plan to overcome the curse of living in a Genesis 3 world. I would like to invite you to... If you don't know the father, if you are not in a relationship with the creator of the universe, you can be, you can do that through a relationship with Jesus who came at this Christmas time. Okay. I'm going to put a bookmark right there for now. Uh, We're going to pick this up in a few weeks with a second installment in this teaching series on unfolding the story of Christianity and the end of the world. All right, we're going to pick it up there in just a few weeks, um, right after the new year with a second installment in this teaching. And um, next, we're going to begin to look at God's plan to overcome human rebellion and then begin to unpack uh, the events that will come at the end of the story. Okay, so um, as we close things out, I just want to let you know, thank you for all of your support. Those of you who um, support me monthly, I just want to say thank you for doing that. Your support makes it possible for me to do things like online classes and writing live streams. Every live stream that I write um, represents about 20 hours of writing and research. So I just want to thank you so much to those of you who have stepped up to become monthly partners for me. And I would just... Invite if the Lord puts it on your heart to partner with me in that way. Um, I would certainly appreciate it. I'm very humbled by it. You can go to centerforbiblicalunity.com/slash/donate, and you can so one of the options is that you can select my salary. You can become a monthly partner or make a one-time donation. And if you just select uh, Krista's salary, when you go and under that one where it says give to general fund, there's an option to give to Krista's salary. That would be amazing. And thank you so much for your support. I just want to say one more time, please share this show with somebody who you feel like needs some encouragement. um, Maybe is a new Christian and would like to kind of get a bigger picture on the Bible from 30,000 feet. This might be a helpful show to them. And I just want to say, I hope you all have a Merry Christmas that this stream finds you and your family well. May God bless you and good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.